Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the NSL's podcast. I hope you're all well. Who's listening? Once again, joined by my co-host, John. How are you, John? Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. I'm good to yourself. I'm good, man. Thanks for asking. And a show regular, Anthony. How are you, Anthony? I'm doing good, mate. Good to be back on. Good to talk to you. Yeah, no worries. Good to have you on, Anthony. And we are delighted to welcome back James Forrest from the Celtic blog. How are you, James? I'm good, guys. Thanks very much for having me back on. No worries. It's a pleasure. Thanks for coming back on and agreeing to come back on as well. So we will crack on into the first topic, and that is just to take a wee jog back to the fan press conference. Obviously, at the end of the sales podcast, we were on Nookers looking in, and we kind of give our opinion on podcasts gone by in terms of what we thought and the impression Ange Postacoglu and Dominic Mackay made on the Celtic support or the fan media that, that was in attendance. And one guy, James Forrest, was representing the Celtic blog. He was there. So if it come to yourself, James, what type of vibe did you get off Ange and Dom? And in terms of your questions, did they answer them well for you? Uh, yeah, I, I thought the two of them handled it really well. Um, Ange looked like the calmest guy on the planet. Uh, he... He really impressed me because, you know, I've, I've had a lot of doubts about the appointment and whatnot. But he spoke really well. He spoke really passionately. He, he seems to understand the club that he's at. He seems to understand the expectations. Um, I thought it was important that the first question was addressed to him and was a kind of a preparation for what he's going to face in Scotland. If Dave Fox hadn't asked that question, I would have asked something not dissimilar to it. I might not put it quite in the same language, but the same sort of a vibe would have been there. Because I want this guy to know what he's walking in. I don't want him to be surprised the first time some inexplicable refereeing decision goes against him and he's tempted to like hand wave it as you know one of these things that happens in games here from time to time. Um, I wanted him to be fully prepared for the fact that the media will not be on his side and they will not be his friends. And I thought David asked a good question. And I thought he handled it brilliantly. The media has made out that he was bemused and kind of looked at the whole thing as if it was a bit bizarre, but that didn't come across at all in the way he answered it. He understood exactly what was being asked. And he answered it straightforwardly by saying that he would stand up for the club no matter what. And that's what we all wanted to hear. Dominic Mackay, I, I, um, he's very impressive. He called me about a week before it, right out of the blue, sitting here doing my work, and the phone rang, and it was Dominic Mackay. That was really strange. Um, but this guy's obviously intends to push forward with fan engagement. He intends to get to know everybody in the blogosphere and on the podcast. You guys will be getting your own invite shortly. I have no doubt about that at all. He really is serious about, about this stuff. And um, it kind of was, the engagement with the blogs and the podcast kind of started when he got the gig and when he moved in to the to the role, even though he was shadowing Law, he's going to do things a very different way from Law. He's very smooth. He's very calm. Um, and I thought that he handled the question about the SFA really well as well. Um, a lot of people say they didn't answer it directly, but he actually kind of did answer it directly. For a start, he talked about his relationship. He's already building a good relationship, he says, with other clubs who see his appointment and his essential role as role as, being a, as representing a different way of doing things. So they already know they're not dealing with law. They already know they're dealing with a guy who's got different ideas and a different way of looking at things. And I think that's all the good. I thought the two of them were excellent. See, coming back on you there, uh, James, obviously there's been a lot of talk in regards to 
that first question, and it wasn't really a question, it was a statement when you listened to it. Obviously on the podcast we discussed this, and some of us agreed that, that it should have been said, but not, as you said, maybe not in that way, and then others in certain other areas of Celtic media said it shouldn't be said at all. Seeing the vibe in, that, in the room at that time when that was asked, was it negative? Did anyone say anything, or did it just get let go? No, I, you know what? I, I think a lot of us had intended to ask a similar question. I think a lot of us had intended to make the same point because I was going to ask him. I mean, my question would have been framed around the media um, and it would have been framed around how these guys were, these guys would give him a hard time the first chance they got. They'd be on his back the first chance they got. He wasn't going to get honeymoon from them. I was going to frame it in terms of the question, the famous clip of him in Australia getting really pissed off with the, with the guy who was questioning him. The, the press conference that he said set his career back a long time. <laughs> um, I mean, if he thought that was a tough question, and he ain't seen nothing yet, and I wanted him to be fully prepared, and I want him to be fully prepared for the day when he's going to get those kind of questions from your press, who the first chance they get will be all over him. And I wanted him to know that that's what they're like. Um, and I thought the Tony Mowbray example, although it's been widely mocked by people like Tom English and whatnot, I thought that the Tony Mowbray part of that question was right on because that was one of the biggest problems that Mowbray had. The press saw him as an absolute walkover. This guy's not going to be a walkover. This guy's going yeah. to handle the way Martin O'Neill used to handle them. Yeah. He'll be I mean, you... if they deviate at all from fact and what he says, I think they'll be in a lot of trouble. I think yeah, it, it, it is good to see that in, in terms of the way he is with the media and stuff. He, he did shoot down Chris McLaughlin uh, pretty early on in the, the, the media press conference, the first one he did. Coming to yourself, Anthony, before we move on, and John as well, what's your take on that? Because we spoke about it previously in terms of the, the first kind of statement that was made across and other people weren't comfortable with that. And then, as James rightly alluded to, there are certain as- aspects of the media kind of made it to be like he was being bemused and he didn't know what was going on or people he didn't know what they were talking about. Looking back on it now, what what, what do you think in regards to that statement? Yeah, well, put it this way, he certainly didn't look bemused or sound bemused in, he, in his response, neither him uh, nor Dominic Mackay, um, to be fair. Like James says, often it's maybe not what you say, it's the, the way you say it. And we, I think we agree that the, the, the question perhaps could have been... Um, you know, asked them using, you know, perhaps a slightly better language, but the, the actual gist, you know, the, the, the subject at hand um, was fair game. And like uh, James says, the way that the media are painting it now that he was somehow, he looked at it like it was like it was beneath him or, or anything like that is, to me, look, look totally false. I think the media, um, the mainstream media's noses are out of joint for the fact that the fans um, got their tuppence worth in first. You know, it, they, they made, they were made to wait. Um, which I think's absolutely the correct thing. The fans come first. You know, we we owe these people nothing. If it was up to me, half of them wouldn't be within a hundred miles of uh, the Celtic Park press room, um, especially anyone involved in the Daily Record or the or the Scottish Sun. Um, so yeah, I, I I think treat them the way the way they should be treated. And um, yeah, I, I I can only applaud um, Dominic Mackay and Ange Postecoglou for for doing that. Yeah, I mean, what what about yourself, John? Uh, me personally, I still think, as Anthony said, there that statement could have been put across in a better way or a better context, and especially for the first thing to be said to the incoming new manager. But as James said, he, he handled it well, and he said he's going to defend the club with all he has. And 
not to take away from anything else that was said in the press conference, but this seems to be the, the most talked about aspect of it. And the media t- turn into this, and then you have certain commentators or pundits and journalists as well coming out now saying the, all these things about fan media attacking certain corners of the Celtic support. What's your opinion on it now? <laughs> I, well, I mean, my, my opinion remains the same as it was uh, the first time we discussed it. Whereas I, I agree l- largely in part of what was said. Um, I don't think necessarily it was said in the right way, personally. Um, but like James alluded to, you can you can bring these points up through engaging uh, in a different manner, asking a particular question and framing it in a particular way. Um, this guy didn't necessarily ask a question, he made a statement. Uh, and what's said is said. Listen, the guy was invited there, he was in his right to say whatever he needed to say or what he wanted to say, and it's done. Uh, the biggest uh, things, though, like you mentioned, is the the mainstream media uh, have obviously picked up on it and are using it as ammunition against the the, the fan base. As they were like, I mean, you could see it coming. They do it all the time. It's no a secret, though. As, as James and as Anthony's alluded to, I wouldn't. Done. Listen, you know my thoughts on these sort of print media and stuff like that. So I'm not why I end up getting into a full blown rant about it again, but. I feel like Anthony put it perfectly. The, 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 they're just disjointed at the fact that they came last and the fans were given a, a platform before them and they were going to spin that in a negative way in any which way they could. Uh, and they used that particular statement as ammunition uh, to base their uh, articles and everything on. And as Anthony said, I wouldn't, there's certain parts of the media I wouldn't let anywhere near Celtic Park, but... Again, the, the 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 option to put the fans first, uh, I thought was incredible. It was a great move for for Mackay, uh, and as I mentioned before, I hope that that kind of platform uh, continues going forward throughout the season. Yeah, I think as we said in the previous show, there is optimism around Celtic Football Club at the minute in terms of the direction they're going. And before we move on, James, go back to yourself. We discussed this. It came across, I mean, we didn't know that Dominic Mackay worked in Australia, lived in Japan, and he's been in a vast amount of countries throughout the world, and he knew of Postacoglu. And the fact we got, he did say that he was Postacoglu was Dominic Mackay's man. Did you get that vibe? Did you believe him when he said that? Um, well, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't look at his career, um, <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't know when he came across Foster Coglu, because he's been at Scottish rugby for quite a while. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I have no doubt whatsoever that he knows of the guy and he knows what he's talking about. Um, you, you can tell just looking at these two guys and all the footage that you've seen that they get on great, that they, ha- that, that they have a lot of respect for each other. And that's really important. There was, you know, there have been some times when you've seen a Celtic manager, <laughs> Peter Law, or the chairman sitting there and you've not detected a whole lot of warmth, let's just say. No. Well, that's definitely not the case with these guys. These guys like each other and they respect each other. And that's really important to the club. Um, Mackay could easily have passed this off as a decision that he had the only very limited role in. Because obviously, although he's been in the building, Law was still in the job. And he could very easily have, have said that oh, it was a bold decision and we took it as a team or whatever it was. But he said it was his decision. And that is proper leadership. He has he has basically said, if this goes wrong, blame me. I'm the guy, the buck stops here. 
I, I think that's excellent. I, I, I really didn't expect that. It's one of the things that impressed me about him, actually, because I see, it would have been very easy for him to have dismissed this as a decision that he only had a peripheral role in, but he's he's taken it on front and centre and said, no, this this is my call. This goes wrong, blame me. So I think that's excellent. Yeah, and I mean, thanks for giving your take on, on the family press conference. It's great to hear from inside the camp. Obviously, we weren't invited, but hopefully we get the invite soon, boys. And moving on, something that's coming thick and fast, as I said previously, is pre-season, and it starts on Wednesday, ironically, against Sheffield Wednesday. Now, we've seen pictures, <laughs> pictures today of the, the squad travelling down the wheels for the pre-season camp. The likes of Bolly, he travelled, Bolongoli travelled, uh, Christie, Oliver Neacham, a few players that you've kind of associated with be leaving Celtic now. Coming to yourself, Anthony, before we move on to the games itself, what players do you think deserve a chance in this pre-season run? Because we, we have seen before previously that the midfield youth team for the first half, bring out the big boys second half or vice versa. Do you think because the squad's so thin now that the likes of Luke O'Connell, Afalobi, the striker, uh, Scott Robertson, players like that, definitely have a chance to, to impress on their post during pre-season, especially as it's coming up to the Mitterland game? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I think there's uh, a, a chance there for, that, that some boys can take. Um, you know, the, the, these friendlies are, are, is always just essentially about raising fitness, getting the match sharpness back. Um, some of those players, you know, like we've seen Callum at the footage of Callum McGregor going on the plane as well. I'd, I'd like to see him get a, perhaps a little bit more of a rest because, of course, he'll still have the sharpness from the Euros. Um, but yeah. Some features, you know, some players there uh, that you hope to feature. Hope they see the new boys for a start. Um, although I hope they don't get mixed up and go into the wrong dressing room. Um, <laughs> and yeah, 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 and like you say, the likes of perhaps Luca Connell. You know, we've not really replaced uh, Scott Sinclair um, on the left hand side, really. Um, so there's a, a chance here for him to stake a claim before perhaps the the squad gets bolstered too. So yeah, looking forward to it. Of course, the Euros are still on, um, but it's just great to have the. The real stuff, you know, the proper stuff back in action again. Um, and yeah, this is all building towards that first qualifier. I don't know about yourselves. Like, I'm, I'm buzzing for preseason for some reason. I think it's because it feels like it's been so long since there's been a bit of happiness around Celtic Park. And I can't wait to sit and watch the, the Sheffield Wednesday the game, even though it's just preseason. But come to yourself, John, in terms of players night, I want to speak to you about one specific guy, and that's Bolling Goalie. We had a discussion about him before in terms of can he come in? and be the Celtic left-back after, obviously, what happened, and then the events kind of kick-started the catastrophe of the season that Celtic had. But can you see a chance for him coming back into the fold? Uh, I'm, at this point, given how sort of thin the squad is at the minute, and the fact that we've no got these no go replacements in place, uh, then, uh, uh, I mean, the fact that he's going down there for part of the pre-season tour doesn't surprise me. Uh, whether or not he's got a future at the club, I'm not aware of, but if you were to ask me, does he deserve a chance? I mean, if Ange, if he's going to play the way Ange wants to play and he buys into this, and Ange is able to pick his game up, then, like Griff, I, I, I think he deserves a chance because all these boys last season, I think there was a lot of them that, I think during the course of the season, we, we, we couldn't care whether they stayed or they went. Um, but I think there's a bit of renewed optimism uh, with Ange coming in and the new season starting, and I think... Uh, they were starting to be a wee bit more level-headed, um, and I, the events that happened last season, um, I just want to put behind me personally. Uh, so I think all the guys in the club deserve a chance to to stake their claim in the team. If he pulls his weight and he performs well enough, then he deserves a start. If no, then th- that 
let him go. Like it, it remains to be seen. But as he's, as as it stands at the minute, we're not in a position where we can just say eh, he's not getting a chance because eh, what happened last year. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, and in regards to the the other question about who I'd like to see and stuff like that, I definitely agree with Anthony. I'd like to see, I'd like to see like Luca Connell get a chance. I want to see Mayor eh, Dembele. Um, I mean, I, I want to see Mary Sorrow. I, I fully, I fully expect that Ange is going to use this preseason. There'll be heavy rotation through the games, and he'll be using as much time as possible, like Anthony says, to get the guys marked sharpness back and and to just see how they are in a competitive sort of uh, environment and uh, during the game. Um, so I, I don't think there's going to be any settled one team, and I think everybody's going to get their chance to to, to get a run out and to see what they can do. But I mean. It's fun in that we're starting to get back into swinging things in pre-season. And I know we've got the European qualifiers coming up, so you want to try and gauge uh, who who's starting eleven is going to be um, and as quickly as possible because that needs to be sort of established uh, so that we know, or, or so, rather so that Ange knows exactly the direction that we're heading in. And, but I think this is an opportunity, at least the first couple of games of pre-season, eight, for all these guys to, to get a run out and show what they're capable of doing, so I fully expect to see everybody getting an opportunity. Yeah, and um, what about yourself, James? Is there any particular players that you would like to see to get a chance? And in terms of the likes of Ball and Goalie, Christy, like most, more so Ball and Goalie, would you welcome him back into the fold? As John said, they kind of want to leave the offence in the past. I absolutely agree. I mean, there are a lot of guys who we have, as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot of players we haven't yet seen as Celtic players. Um, Ball and Golly is, is certainly one of them. I, I thought there was I thought there was a player there. Maybe not a maybe not a great left back, but uh, certainly somebody who could play wide left. Um, we haven't, as far as I'm concerned, we haven't seen Alvin yet. He makes me a lot of up last season for all the all the opportunities that he got. Um, we haven't seen Barkas as a goalkeeper. I'm looking forward to seeing these guys under a manager that actually believes in them and who they believe in in turn, I think we'll see different players from these guys this year than we did last year. See, last year last year was categorised by, it was characterised by a failure from the very top to the very bottom of the club. Everybody was failing at some point last year. Even a guy like Shane Duffy who played in a league ten times bigger than the SPL came in and looked absolutely lost. And I can't fathom that at all. I can't fathom how there were so many failures. I would love to see how Ryan Christie does under this guy. We're not going to find out for very long, but I think it would be a different... I think it would be like watching a different player compared to who he was last year. So I'm looking forward to seeing the guys who didn't really get an opportunity. I'm looking forward to seeing how the guys who underperformed last season perform under a manager who can set a team up for a start, who has a tactical system and sticks to it instead of chopping and changing every goddamn week where you never know what you're going to, I mean, what do we call it at one point? Selection roulette. I mean, that's, that's exactly what it was like. <laughs> you're 100% and right. Now. Oh, I, think, I, I think, I mean, Albany Yeti's the one I'm most looking forward to seeing. Because I thought he looked in the first couple of games like he was really sharp and he was going to be really good in front of goal. And then he just fell out of the team. And obviously there is a part of me who longs for Lee Griffiths to be back to even being a 20-goal-a-season striker. I mean, forget the 40 goals that he scored before Brendan showed up. I'll, I'll settle for him being able to do half that. If he does half that, then we've got a, a good player on our hands again. 
and he's been worth the one-year deal. James, just to come back to you on that quickly, I mean, I've been very vocal about Lee Griffiths in terms of the deal. I still don't think he deserved it in terms of his availability for Celtic and stuff. Are you Were you happy when Celtic took up that option? It's, uh, <laughs> that's a difficult question because I, I've been a Lee Griffiths fan from way before he was a Celtic player. And just after they signed for Celtic, I met him at a Celtic Park function and told him he was going to score 100 goals plus for the club. And he looked at me like I'd grown two heads. But... <laughs> I think he's on 120-odd now, and really, a guy with his ability should be on 200 or closing in on 200, and it's an absolute sin that he isn't he? Um, but he only has himself to blame for it. He's one of these guys that just... He's one of these players who has has become a professional footballer because he's good at football. Right, that's going to sound stupid, right? You and I know, right, that there are people with a fraction of Griffiths' ability who've went further in the game and climbed higher because they're hard workers and they and they, and they understand the discipline that's involved to be a professional footballer and they've devoted their lives and their careers to it. And he doesn't strike me as being one of the people. He's, he's, he's got buy on ability, but as Rogers said to him repeatedly, that's not enough. You have to apply yourself if you're going to make it to 33, 34, 35 in this game. And you know, and, and look back on your career with some satisfaction and playing World Cups and stuff. And he, and he hasn't done that. He hasn't devoted himself to the to to the to the job the same as he should have. I mean, I remember an interview that Keenan Tierney gave about two years before he left Celtic Park, and it was the moment I knew that he would leave Celtic Park, where he talked about being a footballer as my job. It's what I do for a living, and I want to be as good at it as I can be. And I thought he's he's got it. He's he's switched on. You know, that's why he's super fit. That's why he can run for 90 minutes every single week. Treated it as 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 a job. He treated it as, this is this is my profession. This is my career. And I want to advance as much as I can. And Griffiths has never treated it as seriously as that. So in a sense, he's very, very, very lucky that he got another at Celtic. But it's what he does with it now that matters. And he's certainly capable of doing the best of it. I think that's a brilliant point in terms of the, you said there. There's players of Halfhill's ability kind of go on and be superstars in the game, mainly because Lee Griffiths, as you said, doesn't apply himself. Is that what, what was it? Rogers just say the twenty four seven athlete, wasn't it? That was his like his favorite his favorite phrase when he came into like training. But coming to your, yourself, Anthony, just quickly, that's what he asked the boys there in terms of Bob and Goalie. Would you like to see him see what he can give in the Celtic shirt game, or are you of the opinion that he should just go after what happened last season? I mean, obviously, a lot of the support are going to hold that against them. And I suppose to an extent you can understand that, Stephen. But yeah, I mean, the way I see it, when a new manager comes in, it is a fresh start um, for everyone. You know, if he was to turn t- turn it on and, you know, dedicate himself on the pitch and, and really show it, you know, of course, everyone, I'm a big believer in everyone deserving a second chance. Um, but on, only time will tell. But yeah, I'm certainly, I'll, I'll count me out of the, of the chance of crucify him, which no doubt some elements of our support will be quite happy to do. Yeah. I mean, me personally, like from my point of view, I want to see him back in, in the Celtic team. I think as James said, I did believe there was a player there. I think there was a European game when he basically run the length of the field and crossed one in for Edward and he banged it in. I can't remember exactly what game it was, but he does have that ability. And as James alluded to, maybe not an out and out left back, left wing back, that kind of role, but moving on anyway, to some of the content we're seeing come out of Celtic Football Club in terms of social media channels. And on YouTube on Friday, 
they put up the Alan's Postacoglu make up session, basically where he could hear what he was saying to the players. And obviously, in my opinion, Dominic Mackay has had a big, 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 big say in that because I think that's his sort of thing coming from a rugby background. And coming to yourself, John, first here, there has been a few elements of certain media saying these are all singing and like singing and celebrating, seeing this kind of content in terms of what he was doing, saying to the players. But for from a Celtic point of view, it was refreshing to see that different side of training, wasn't it? I oh, know, absolutely. Uh, and I love that. I've watched the video countless times. So have uh, I. <laughs> I, I. I genuinely thought it was great. And just listening to him, uh, just sort of how he takes the training and the, the way he speaks to the guys, like he doesn't seem like he, he pulls any punches. He, he'll tell them, like, what needs to be, he'll say what needs to be said, essentially. Uh, but at the same time, he's, he's he's sort of pushing them. He's 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 sort of bigging them up when they, they, little things like you heard them say uh, Edward when he was making runs like good good good, like he was he was praising the guys as well. Uh, but it was the bit where he was mentioning about the non-stop, no breaks, and stuff like that. And it's it's exactly as Celtic fans what I think we all want to hear because uh, you know he's alluded to sort of playing like a high press and high tempo game, um, an attacking game. Which is all Celtic fans uh, are aware is like the Celtic way, as they call it. So um, we're all excited to see that. But the fact that you see him in the training ground and he's drilling that into these guys um, was was a positive for me, and I, re- I really liked hearing that. And it, it, the it's it sounds like he's he's backed up thus far everything that he said, mm-hmm. and he just continues to impress me. So I thought it was fantastic, and I think the the way that Celtic and again this all comes down to Mackay, like you mentioned. I think that is uh, that's a Mackay move. Um, and I, I hope to see more of it. It's like it's def- he's definitely sort of utilising his experience for other aspects of the, his career. Um, and he, he's that sorry the fan engagement, the media engagement, which he was known for, um, certainly seems to be showing uh, coming to light and uh, showing promise. So um, I'm I'm impressed. And like I say, I'm, I'm hoping it, it isn't just a wee thing where it's like a case of oh, we'll do it for the first wee bit and then it'll just kind of fall to the wayside. So. I'm hoping it continues, and I'm hoping that it's not just a wee flash, eh, his, yeah. his stuff. But I, I'm impressed at the minute, and, and I'm enjoying it. Even do that kind of session once a week, three minute clip, I'll be class. Another thing, another thing that was refreshing for me, James, as well. Many Celtic fans haven't seen this, but in the last two clips, and this is me being sarcastic, by the way, in terms of having seen this, but in the last two clips, we've seen Barkas make saves on the training pits, and that's why yes, I believe. Yeah. That, that's why I believe there. I mean, it's kind of thing to say is training but I think there's a keeper in Barkas and what you said previously that these players have got a new lease of life I try to believe that and I think he's going to be number one going forward but one thing as well James he when he, he was welcoming the players onto the pitch he knew all their names he had give them all nicknames already I think Barkas was Barky um, Robbo for Scott Robertson I mean it was just good to hear wasn't it yeah I thought it was excellent I th- um, and again I know this is one of the things that's been widely mocked on the other side of the city, but they again they missed the point, and and a lot of the media who are, who are slagging us for it have missed the point. There were things of substance that got said during those training sessions, which have been completely overlooked by the other lot and by the mainstream press. I mean, the focus on hard work and determination and pressing for ninety minutes that was completely lacking under Lennon. Movement off the ball completely lacking under Lennon. The the, the team sticking to a system and a shape and as he said at one point when the ball moves we all move and I thought yep I'm into that I like the sound of that 
I mean, this this was this was all it's all ABC stuff, right? In a sense, I mean, one 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 Sevco website said uh, next to be telling is something about you know oh, I hate it when the ball's in the air or something like that, right? <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you've just you've missed the point. You've missed the point. It is simple stuff. It is ABC stuff. But Lennon never did this stuff, and that's it's, it's like a complete transformation in the way the team is being set up and the way the management team thinks. And that's why I, that's why I loved it. I thought it was excellent. It's it's refreshing to hear a Celtic manager talk to the team about not giving up and we don't rest and we we're going to exhaust the opposition. We're going to make them scared to play against us. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. All of it. And obviously, what you guys are saying about Dominic Mackay is also right. There's clearly an element of this that is about buying this guy as much goodwill as he can get. Because Mackay knows that there are there are significant doubts still among a lot of the supporters, but whether this guy's good enough or not. So he's putting a human face on him. He's making him very personable and likable and relatable to the supporters in the hope that it buys him time. Because time is what he's going to need the most from all of us. Time and a bit of understanding and a bit of patience. And there is an element of put a human face on him and make him likable to the fans. And that will get him the breathing space that he needs. And I think that is also excellent management. Can I just touch on something you said there as well? Sorry, Stephen, uh, James, when you mentioned about how it it all seems on the face it to be simple stuff and things like that. I think what people uh, are forgetting is that see across any sport, not just necessarily football, but across any sport, see drilling the fundament, the fundamental aspects of a game into people is a paramount to success. And I think that although a lot of the stuff he might have been saying uh, about passing and moving and stuff like that might seem like, well, that's obvious. And like you alluded to that, uh, Rangers fans or whatever is commenting on next they'll be saying when it's in the air, header it and stuff like that, like that kind of nonsense. It's like, aye, it might sound simple, but fundamental, the basic fundamentals of football are still hugely important. And I think people forget that. And that the, the fact that there's a strong focus on it and letting these guys know who are in the team that it's back to basics and making sure that it's drilled into them. He's going to, he's, he's to set up a particular way and play a particular style of football and these are going to be crucial uh, in that being a success. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I mean, th- there is a saying, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, this is my belief of it, it's like, football is a simple game compl- complicated by idiots and that came across in the, in the training that Pastor Cogney was doing. As you both rightly said there, it looks simple enough on the basics of side of things, but as as James said, that wasn't drilled into the players last season. The players kind of were coached. If you turn up, you win, and that's not the the way that Celtic can move forward. And I think it was refreshing to see, honestly, in terms of the way it was laid out. As I said there, the, the James, he said he knew everyone's name. He was giving everyone encouragement. He, I think he was seeing one of his first clips and all. He was shouting at the players, you know, like one of his first training sessions that ever got up. It does the camera picked it up, and. I was sick to the back teeth of last season of see, seeing the same training video of them getting out of these big, massive stick things. I, correct me, I don't know the name of the, the training gear that they use, but they're just running and running and running. You've seen passing, you've seen shooting, you've seen crossing, you've seen different styles, and, and you've seen Posta Cogley mic'd up, and that was really refreshing. What was your take on it, Anthony? Yeah, pretty much just exactly what the boys are saying there. Uh, Stephen, I was, I was impressed with it. Like you say, it's all about a, a lot of things with football and sport these days it is all about the PR job and James is spot on he I think Dominic Mackay realizes that you know 
time is time is against us, and you know a lot of the the wider uh, sections are, are you know people that follow Scottish sport, you know, and, and especially follow the mainstream media um, are against them as well. Um, and there is still quite a, a significant number of the fan base um, that need to be won round as well. So I think things like um, the the mic top training sessions uh, can only can only be a good thing and um yeah but in terms of the content itself yeah i, re- I really liked it it was um some of his statements it was sort of very very confident without being arrogant which is always you know he's he's walking the fine line but i think he's he's walking it very well at the minute yeah i mean i on saturday there during the weekend i, I watched a, about an hour of this postacogdu's story and i don't know if you just seen it but it's like the age of Ange or something like that it's like a documentary on on YouTube, yeah. and it shows it shows you a clip of him in the Australia dressing room, and he says the exact same thing of, about don't let them rest, and if, the, if they're tired, we take advantage of it, and it just shows you that the person he is, he's got a, a philosophy he sticks by, he doesn't dwell, he wants the, the players to buy into what he's doing, and if they don't buy into it, they'll be shipped out, which brings me on to the next kind of segment, and that's transfer rumours, yes, the word rumours is cropping up again, it's what we live by, we have to just talk about it anyway. And we've seen the likes of Aaron Moy being pictured in a, in a Sydney airport, apparently UK-bound. Aaron Hickey, apparently selling of lodged a bit of 3.5 million euros. Fiskovic, that's kind of gone quiet. I don't know where we're standing on that. And Kenneth Powell, a versatile left-back or right-back, plays in the Dutch League. And also, more recently, in the last 48 hours, Kevin Nisbet of Hibs for around £3 million. Now, coming to yourself, James, first. In terms of the players so far that we're linked with, is there any particular player that you would definitely like to see come in? Or is there players that you think, I wouldn't touch them with bars, Paul? Well, I hope we get the uh, Croatian central defender, um, Vukovic. Uh, I hope that comes off. Um, the, the name that was on the radar and was dropped off the radar is Charlie Wick from Sunderland. Now, I thought, that, that, was, I thought that was an unadventurous and quite an atrocious um, target until I actually looked the guy up and started uh, looking at his videos and stuff from last season. He scored over 30 goals last season. Most of them were in the six-yard box. A lot of them were in the air. So he's physically strong. He's a penalty box player. And when you actually look at how we've been playing for the last couple of seasons, all those... I mean, I'd, I've, I've hated watching it because it's been pointless crosses into the penalty box for a player who isn't there. Well, he was obviously scouted with that system in mind. And when you actually look at the videos, he would have been a great asset to a team that played that way. He he would have scored a barrel of goals in Scotland, there's no doubt about it at all. So that was actually one of the best bits of scouting that we must have done last year. Because some whoever picked him and put him on the shortlist knew what they were doing. And I don't know if the silence is because Andrew's going to play a different way and he doesn't see a place for this guy in his team. But again, that is excellent because... Ange knows exactly the type of player he's looking for. And he's not going to just accept what the board suggests for him. Right, so, in one sense, I would like to see Wick sign now. And if Ange signs him, I'll be very happy. But if Ange doesn't sign him, I'll also be very happy. Because, obviously, the manager's looked at the system he intends to play and thought, this guy's not going to fit that. Because he is a very specific type of player. Um, obviously, Kevin Nisbet's an entirely different type of player. But I like him a lot because um, he's done one of the most difficult things I think in football would do. He's progressed in, in a way that's visible. I mean, I think he was in Scottish Division 1 three years ago 
and he scored a lot of goals there and then got his move to the championship where he scored a lot of goals. Then he got his move to the SPL where he scored goals and now he's a full international and it's basically like four years. I mean, that's exceptional. That's exceptional. That's a football player. There's no question that he's got the talent to play at, at the level of Celtic and beyond. There's no question about that. Um, I think that the, the really significant one could be the, the, the guy we're talking about, Moy, if that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he is 30. He has EPL experience. He has been playing in China, I think, and he's yeah. probably yeah. a huge sum of money. This is a deal that Celtic, under law, would never have sanctioned in a million years. In a million years. A 30-year-old from, from the EPL, uh, and a former EPL player at 30. That, you know, law would never have sanctioned a deal like that. And if we sign him, that will be the best evidence we're going to get that Ange has got his own ideas and is in total control of all first team affairs and is going to put a stamp on the team. And that'll be a really interesting sign. Uh, for me, the jury's still out in the likes of Aaron Moy because, I don't know, we discussed this earlier in our group, tell Anthony, in terms of age. And I don't know if I'm living in the kind of back Celtic era with Lowell. I know it's a, a, a bad name to say in terms of transfers, but I think he's too <laughs> old to lay out for... Uh, for Four million pounds, whatever it's meant to be believed, uh, James, in my opinion. But Kevin Nisbet, for it is a lot of money for a thirty-year-old. That's where I'm coming from. In that and Kevin Nisbet, for me, yes, he's a good striker. I think he recently scored against Holland as well for in one of the friendlies for Scotland. So there is decent mm-hmm. pedigree about him. But again, it's the outlay, three or four million pounds. I don't know if we should be putting that into someone else with a bit more experience. I, I'm kind of in two minds about that, Anthony. What about yourself in terms of them two players? Um. I must admit, Stephen, I would sanction both of those signings in a heartbeat. Um, I accept that there's, it's okay, £4 million is a lot of money for a striker who's not quite been at that top level yet. But I'm going to use the Scott Brown example here, but that's roughly what we paid for Scott Brown at, the, at that age. And we got that investment back tenfold, maybe even more than that. Um, if, if we get someone like that in, he's, like, like James has said, he's progressed over the last few years a move to Celtic would be quite a natural move. And um, perhaps even like Lee Griffiths himself, you know, give him chances. He'll, he'll score goals. Um, you know, it's it's just what he does. In terms of Moy, yes, I accept that he's on the, he's a bit further up the, the age spectrum. But again, using the Scott Brown um, analogy, and I accept that he's not the same type of player as Scott Brown. He is a little bit more creative, but we have just, and I'd, do accept that it is still one of the areas within the team that is still pretty well stacked in terms of Cal McGregor, uh, David Turnbull, etc. Sorrow as well. However, we have just got a massive void now in the middle of that park with the departure of Scott Brown. Um, you know, there is no. I mean, Scott Brown's thirty six, I think. There's although yeah. he couldn't have done it week in week out. There is there is no suggestion that Scott Brown, if he had decided to, could not have played a part of some level uh, this season in the middle of the park for Celtic. So, you know, you take six years off that, um, depending on whether or not this guy's got the same attitude to his fitness as what Scott Brown did, then 30-year-old these days in football um, is still relatively young. Um, And I think, like, I think he's worked with Ange Postacoglu before, and, you know, it's pretty natural for new managers coming in to to sign one or two players that they absolutely 100% trust um, with Martin, it was Neil Lennon, who I think was also about 29 30 when we signed him for £6 million. 
Um, obviously, Gordon Strachan had the, the likes of, you know, I accept Paul Telford didn't cost £4 million, but he was a trusted um, sort of lieutenant, so to speak. Brendan obviously brought in uh, Scott Sinclair and Colo Torre, um, who obviously didn't cost any money as a, as a fee, but I, I would have imagined that Colo Torre would have been on big wages. So that there's, yeah. there is a, a place in the squad, there is a, a gap in the, in the in the sort of market of, of our team for these types of signings. And like I said on Friday night, if we get this guy and he does the business, um, we are straight into the Champions League next year where that investment will be recouped many Absolutely. times over. And um, so, yep, I, I think if Ange Postecoglou sees that this is an, an area of the team that he wants to he wants to strengthen and that the, the money's there, and I think the money is there because, you know, as, as um, Dominic Mackay pointed out, we have by far and away the largest season ticket um, base again. Um, it's not quite sold out yet, but it's it's on that way. Um, we've got more season tickets than what any other club could even possibly hope to have. Um, so you've got that money there already. There will be departures as well that will help fund it. And of course, this is a new administration, so they'll be keen to, you know, not necessarily splash the cash, but definitely make funds available for, for the new manager. So, yep, I must admit, if if it was up to me, if I had the if I had the, the levers of power at my disposal, I would sanction those two moves before we go off air tonight. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in terms of the season tickets, they did allude to the fact that if the Celtic fans don't buy them, there'd be no money to invest in the team. So, tend to put the money where the mouth is, I, I suppose. But yeah, absolutely, I'll we'll take that. Yeah. One player I think we missed a trick on, and I think uh, uh, James, you were on previously and we spoke about this, was Alan Campbell of Motherwell. Yeah. We missed a, yeah. a trick on him, not signing him on a free, and he could have been that link between Scott Brown and a replacement, but again, he's went to Luton Town down in England. But coming to yourself, John, and you made a very good point in terms of the midfield, in terms of Moy that were stacked in there after you alluded to that fact. Are you swayed on the Moy argument, or would you still say no to him? Listen, I, I, I'm no going to sit here and, and say that I doubt the guy's ability or his experience or that that would even be useful in the dressing room because I've absolutely every confidence that it would. My issue with the, the Moy signing and again that this is stuff I, I brought up in the, the group chat and I think me and William agreed uh, on the, the last podcast uh, and me and Ross were button heads uh, earlier the day <laughs> about it but um. I'm standing by it. I think that we've got a lot of talent in midfield at the club at the minute, right? Uh, there's a lot of guys that deserve a chance. Um, and four million, as you said, Stephen, it's it's a large outlay for for a player who is coming to the. I mean, I'm not saying he's old at thirty. Christ, I don't think I'm old, and I'm six years older than he is. So, it, it, I, I, I wouldn't say he's old, but in football in terms, he's coming to the latter end of his career. Let's be serious. Um, and again. He's experienced and everything else could probably be utilised. His influence in the dressing room would probably be beneficial. But I think our focus at this point should be in strengthening the areas of the team where we know we need it. Um, and again, I don't know how much this transfer, how much the transfer budget is, but it, I mean, four million is still a lot of money to be spending on a player to bring in an area of the park that is, by and large, the the the, the one area that we don't really need players in. Um, so, for me, I think that it should be sort of put to the side at the minute. We should focus on ensuring that we've got depth in every other area of the park first, making sure we've got the money available to get these guys in, making sure that we're, we're, we're ready in that sense, and then, if you've got any spare change, try and bring in the likes of Amoy uh, and stuff like that. But 
I stand by that. For me, at this current point in time, I would be focusing elsewhere. Yeah, I I totally agree. I really do because, I mean, Postacog likes to play a wide man. We can't rely on Forrest and Johnson to get us through, so we need to strengthen that area, the centre back area. I know we're bringing Urigidi, and then we're bringing Liam Shaw from both Sheffield. Well, I mean, if you, Shaw's another one we've just brought in a uh, in that <laughs> that sort of area of the park as well. And like I say, we've got plenty of guys in the team at the minute in that area. We've got young guys who deserve a chance and, and, and hopefully they'll get the chance uh, to show that, that, that they deserve to, to play uh, first-team football and going forward. And um, But uh, again, it, it comes back to the... Look at... We've talked about this for the start, about the size of the rebuild. Uh, you're potentially, as well, when you, you, you look at the reports of players potentially getting out, um, and these are these are guys that are going to need to be replaced. Um, I, you've got you've got maybe money for season. We, again, we don't know how much of this money is actually getting put towards the transfer budget. So I think we need to be uh, realistic in the sense that, I mean, this, it, it, it looks like by and large that we're batting Ange and we're going to yeah. bring in the guys he wants, which I'm happy about. And just coming to all three years quickly before we move on. What about Aaron Hickey, James? Would he interest you? Well, this, this no move will sum up the utter lunacy of the last few years more than it would be summed up if we spent four and a half million pounds on a player who we could have had last season for not even half of that, but who some bean counter at the club didn't say decided wasn't worth one and a half million pounds. Nothing would sum up the lunacy or the long year more than that would. But he's an excellent player, and he would certainly be an asset to the squad. I just think it would be crazy to spend that kind of money on him this year after yeah. he was worth one and a half million last year. I mean, it's not even that as well. He was in our youth academy with Adam Go, and as you oh, said, he, he was he, he was available for one point five million from Hearts, but then take that opportunity now with face paying upwards of four million euros for him. But I agree with what you're saying. I think he would be an excellent addition. Obviously, the money you're paying out could be repaid in years to come. Obviously, if we make that on terms of revenue in the future, but come to yourself. Anthony, what about Aaron Hickey? Would he interest you? Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I, I, I wasn't always his, his biggest uh, sort of mascot, as it were. I always seemed to think a bit similar to the other laddie that was at Hearts. I can't, it, it was the middle of the park, but Cochrane. I think he's, it was at Harry Cochrane. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think yeah. maybe it was just because he scored against Celtic, obviously, the daily record. You know, that, that magnifies your genius by, uh, you know, quite a, quite a significant um, number. But I just always felt that they were decent without without necessarily doing anything spectacular. Um, yeah, okay, he, he was by far and away their brightest light in a year that they got relegated. So again, you have to... But then you do also have to take into account uh, the boys' age as well. Um, not everyone can be Kieran Tierney at 17, 18 years old. And I think this move... But if, if this is what the, the fee is going to be for him now, then... It has to be due to the fact that I, I haven't followed his progress at Bologna, but I think moving from a backwater like Tynecastle to you know Serie A can can only be good for anybody. You, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, Tynecastle. You know, you, you don't know what what sport they actually play there. Is it football or is it actually the egg chasing <laughs> stuff across the road? Um, I just an absolute. Oh God! If you if if that's where you're going to develop your game, I, I don't know. But um, anyway. But staying on point, uh, yeah, he's obviously going to have progressed um, playing in a, in a league like that. So if if he's there, if he's available, if he's up for it, and of course, most importantly, if he's someone that the manager wants, then 
yeah, there, there is going to have to be a bit of money spent uh, this year. And um, as I say, you're getting someone who who knows the, the the Scottish game as well, so that's always a plus point. You triggered yourself there, aren't they, by mentioning the time castle? That must be your trigger. Oh word. man, it's, <laughs> it's like uh, you know, you know the Marvel uh, superhero uh, Bucky. You know when he gets the key words and it kind of sets him off. And <laughs> Civil War, I'm a bit like yeah, uh, a bit like that. time castle man. Oh, just horrible, horrible place. What about yourself, John? An Iron Hickey. Yeah, again, it's one of these areas of the park where we need the depth, we need the depth, we need it strengthening. Um, I would say Hickey's as good as, if not better, than Taylor, personally. Um, so, I mean, I'm I'm all for it. But I, I think we, we missed the boat when we should we should have picked him up when he was linked with us before he moved to Italy. Yeah, but how many boats are something missed? It's just it's a constant theme, and hopefully, hopefully that changes with the new regime coming in. And moving on, just quickly anyway to outgoings. It's been quite quiet. I mean, we did expect loads of clubs around Edward, but that's kind of went dead after the Leicester deed collapsed. Christie as well has went quiet. The only one, well, Christie's been linked to the French league, but the only one with kind of substance that keeps cropping back up again is Christopher Ayer to Norwich. Now, I think they originally came in around eight nine million pounds that got rebuffed. They've come back again with an approved offer. Approved offer, if, if rumours are led to believed, actually of twelve million pounds plus a sell-on clause. I think in there for Celtic. Do you think that would represent a good bit of business for Ayer? Especially the fact that he's 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 sort of made it clear that he wants to go now. Um, the fact that it includes a sell-on clause. The fact that there's an exit. If this rumour is true, of course, you know we've got to add that in as a as a caveat that you know we don't know 100 percent that that it's true but if if those improvements on the original offer are made then yeah i think it would represent a good piece of business because it's also shown that we've got a strong hand as well you know just because these guys are in the last year of their deal it's not going to be like the old days when we just accept the first offer there that comes in for them from down south so yep a couple extra million in the kitty a want away player out the door with well wishes from both sides um and yeah, I, 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 I've no doubt that he would go down there and his value would increase. Therefore, he would be sold on. I'm not talking Virgil van Dijk money. I mean, he's he's not in that calibre, I would argue. But I think he would go, if he was to move from Norwich to, say, a, a Tottenham or, or whatever, his, his value would go up. So we would then get recoup even more money um, in the future. So yeah, I think that that's one of those deals that suits all parties and could eventually fund uh, these new additions uh, that we've just uh, briefed on so yep all, 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 all round I think that's a good deal I think as well people have to get real in terms of the market value now I mean we did expect obviously pre-COVID Ayer would be worth 20 million plus I mean we all did I, I, I mean he was excellent, excellent at some points and in, in terms of the crash in terms of the transfer values it's to be expected you look at uh, Jordan Sancho he was touted for 110 million and now he went for 73 million so look at that trap and coming to your, yourself mm-hmm. Uh, James, what's your opinion on the, on that deal if, if it happens? Uh, <laughs> if we're offered if we're offered twelve million pounds for Ayer, I suggest we do what um, oh, the guy who signed for Leeds. <laughs> I always forget this guy's name. I know the story by heart, but I always forget his name. The guy went in to ask for fifteen grand and was offered thirty two thousand straight away. <laughs> I think we should treat it exactly the way him and his agent did. We should go in. We should hear their offer. We should retreat to a corner to make it that we're discussing it. We should come back and ask for an extra 5% on the sell-on clause. If they say no, we should say 2.5%. When they say yes, we should sign the contract and then run away laughing. Um, I, th- I like Hire as, as a football player. 
I would love to have seen him as a defensive midfielder, but in his life he is not a defender, and he's not worth twelve million pounds as a defender. And if we're offered that for him, we should bite their hands off and run. Yeah, I mean, it does represent a good bit of business, as, as you said. There is lots of people who are of that opinion. I would like wouldn't like to see him in the midfield. I think he could offer something, especially in terms of that Scott Brown rule that's been vacated, but. Again, if he wants yeah. away and he's been promised promised he's going to move on, then he has to move on. What about yourself, yeah. John, in terms of in terms of that money? Yeah, I mean twelve million is a good bit of business for him. Uh, I like him a lot as a player. Uh, I'd like him having I'd like him to have had stayed. I mean, I know he's not away yet, but it's it's looking likely. Um and I know they, they, there's a lot of talk about him saying that he wanted away and stuff like that, and that's fine. But again, that's another guy who I reckon could have uh, flourished under the likes of Ange. Uh, yeah. But again, twelve million is hard to turn down, uh, and if you've got a decent sell on clothes on top of that as well, uh, which I'm hoping it is, and it's not just something like you say like two five percent or whatever it is, um, then I mean if we if we are bringing in players like Edward, we have forty percent sell on clause. It's like we need to be sure that we're we're, we're staying firm on selling clauses and players that we're letting go as well. So I'm hoping that that's going to be a decent chunk as well, and we'll get a wee bit extra from because I've I've no doubts that uh, at the club at likes in Norwich he's going to perform well and and seal himself a, a move to another club for for extra money. So uh, I'd be sad to see him go, but again, that twelve million is a lot, um, and uh, like James says, you bite the hand off for that at the minute. Yeah, exactly. And if he's been promised to leave, I mean, you don't want an unhappy player in the camp. I came back to Bayern in the Arsenal last season, and to move on, the kind of round up of the podcast. Today, Celtic released, which is a Monday, released a new third kit, which just to be explained is like, it's a white t-shirt, well, white top with pink stripes, the Celtic badge is in the middle, Adidas above it, and the Daffabet sponsor below it, and the three stripes along the shoulder, and like uh, the green colour, and then behind it, the wee label as well. That's, that's the best description I could give of it, but I mean, my opinion is, I like the kit. I think it's different. I think there is a lot of people saying it's a bit, eh, it's not Celtic, but again, Adidas have these, they come out of, you know what I mean, they think outside the box in terms of their kit design sometimes, and I think it's meant to be representative of the, the famous Celtic window that players always stand in front of when they're getting their photos took. What what about yourself, Anthony? Is this a kind of a yes or a no for you? It's not the worst top we've ever had, granted. It's not far off it. I think it looks <laughs> dreadful. It is absolutely dreadful. There is not one nice redeeming feature about it. I, I, I really don't. I think the collar's awful. The badge is in the middle for a start, which is a, usually an automatic no-no for me. Listen, I'm an inclusive guy. I'm a progressive guy, but I am sick to the back teeth he is putting pink on football strips and try to pass it off for giving it. Oh, remember a couple of years ago, it was all oh, because the ticket stub in Lisbon was, was pink. And then a couple of years ago, we had that awful New Balance number with a pink chevron. Oh, it's, but we're going to raise money for, for um, breast cancer. That's brilliant. I'll, I'll, I'll donate to, to breast cancer. Don't have my team running about in, 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 in one of the most ridiculous looking kits I've ever seen. Stop putting pink on football strips. It's awful. It is wrong. It is the... I, I like I say, I, I, do you know what? I'm going to say it is the worst kit I've ever seen, just because I'm, it's it's really wound me up. Adidas are the out with Nike. Well, they're certainly the biggest um, sports brand in Europe for football strip team. You know, they, they sponsor Manchester United, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, us. You know, the, the the proper big boys. We are not a hard club. I would argue to come up with smart designs for. You know, 
green, white, gold, black, you know, maybe the, the odd, that's our kind of primary base. And there are a million different, you know, these sort of concept kits that do the rounds, usually about a month before um, the, the real ones. Are, and they all look fantastic. And you just think, surely somebody at Adidas can just have a look at some of these things and, and maybe improve on it a little bit. But what we've essentially got is the, you know, the, the Scotland top from 2002 just jazzed about a bit. It's honestly, man, it's awful. My only saving grace is because it's primarily white, we won't wear it that often. Um, because we never do when it's the white kits. And this time next year, it'll be obsolete and in the history books. But I absolutely, I, I, I cannot sum up how much I don't like it. That, that The pink I, on a football strip should be against the law. <laughs> I I guarantee you one thing after you, well, that's kind of anyway, it's going to be in years to come and don't have one of them retro football stands or in the shelves. Yeah. And people, are going to want it. <laughs> people are going to want it. I think... I do believe I can't be in a party of one here. I believe it's a it's an out of the box kit. Yes, granted, it's not the Celtic style, but again, it's nice. Obviously, the sponsors have a lot to do with it in terms of design and things like that. And it's meant to be based on that famous tainted window with a pink on it at Celtic Park. And James, coming to yourself, I quite like the goalkeeper tap as well. And John put that into the chat. I like the short sleeve version of it. I don't, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but what's your opinion on the on the kit, James? Well, I don't think I've ever bought a Celtic thumb kit in my entire life. <laughs> and this is the one that's going to take. Um, I, I mean, I, I, have, I have a few mates who, who collect this oh, stuff. God. Um, one of them obsessively, right? And uh, I'll say a big hello to Mr. Craig McGee and uh, Mr. Matthew Mark, because I know those guys love their, their retro kits. I don't know if any of them would buy it either. I mean, it's possible that Matthew <laughs> will buy it in, in some eBay sale in 10 years' time to complete his collection or something, but I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's not something I would buy, but then, as I say, I, I never buy third kits anyway. Um, the one thing that we do know about it is because it's um, made by an actual sportswear manufacturer with uh, a reputation, you know, labels aren't going to fall off, letters aren't going to fall <laughs> off, and you're not going to find out that it was a school <laughs> uniform with a fancy badge ironed on it either. So there is that. <laughs> Go ahead, John. You give, give me it. What, what do you think of it? Me, it is absolutely stinking. No chance. I, oh, I hate it. I, I, I'm, I firmly, I stand with Anthony here. It is honestly, it's hideous in every way, and I don't think the colours they don't complement each other. Um, like I, I'm no way hungry, but like I've got a bit of a graphic design background, right? And I can understand colour pairings and stuff like that. Uh, and Pink, green, and white is a no go in any like. It doesn't matter. I think the only team that that, that get away with wearing pink is what is it Palermo? Is it Palermo? I Palermo. Uh, Who have got a pink kit? But it's all pink, and it's they've had it for years, and I think people are accustomed to seeing it. But outside that, there should be no place in in at Celtic especially for it because there's no justifiable reason to include it, and this. And I said this in the group chat as well, Anthony. You you, you agreed with me, and you made a perfect point. They they try to link it to the 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 sixty seven ticket stub, and then the the breast cancer thing, uh, which although a great gesture, still a stinking looking top. And then this one as well, a pink like, think about it. It's just a pink pinstripe, and now they're tying it to a stained glass window. Like, this isn't a thinking outside the box, Stephen. That that just I don't know what 
the mindset is in this obsession with including pink and everything uh, in recent years. But I hate it. I, I really do hate it. And I mean, like you mentioned, Adidas have made some cracking looking tops and we've just seen in the Euros, look at Germany's all black number. Simple. Yeah. Really eye-catching. It, it looks incredible. I love it. Like everything about it, they're just all black to it. And a similar Celtic top, and I think we, we talked about this in the, the group chat as well. I can't remember if it was yourself, Anthony, or William or somebody mentioned it, but imagine a, a Celtic third top like that or a way top like that with a tricolour strip just r- ribbon around the arms or the collar. Phenomenal. Simple. I don't know who it is that Adidas is coming up with the concepts, but somebody at Celtic is obviously green lighting them and they need to be let go because, it, it honestly, I, there's nothing positive to say about it at all. And anybody that does like it is colourblind. <laughs> I, I don't know, guys. I honestly think it was good. And, and in terms of the, the all-black Germany kit, imagine that with Celtic, right, with the, the free pink stripes down the shoulder. Unbelievable. That would be salty. But, I mean, I think, it. it's an already, I think it's an already kit. I, I don't see any big issue with it. Obviously, they're not going to wear it all the time, and I'm probably going to be slagged or f- for all these comments about the kit. I, I mean, it's just... Well, Stephen, I, I better, you better buy it, and I better see you wearing it. I'll, 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 I'll be over to Scotland with it all. Stand, stand by this, clean. Aye. Well, that's what I'm saying. You actually buy it and wear it. <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean, again, I'm in a party of one here. And guys, that brings us to the end of the podcast. And what we're going to do now, as usual, is the quiz. And that's going to be between Anthony and James, our guests from the Celtic blog. And it's just, the same, as, it's just the same as always. It's, it's basically five questions, first to three, not too technical about it. If you guys are ready, we'll crack on. Yeah, yeah, I'm yep. good, mate. <laughs> and it's going, to be a, it's, it's going to be a World Cup quiz, okay? Oh, oh right, okay. A bit of international, a bit of international flavour here. So, first question: Which country won the first ever World Cup in nineteen thirty? Uruguay. Uruguay. One nil. Second question: Which country has won the most World Cups? Brazil. Brazil. Two nil. Anthony, where are you, James? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm processing the question. He's answering. <laughs> Third question. Which country has appeared? Which country has appeared in three World Cup finals but never won the competition? Holland. Bang! Three 0 yeah, Anthony. That is unbelievable, sir. Well done. Track and quiz. <laughs> and James, again to you from the Celtic blog. Thanks for coming back on. Have you enjoyed your time? I have again, guys. Thank you. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, Anthony and John as Anthony and John as well. John, my co-host. Thanks again to you guys. And until we speak again, stay well and keep safe. Hail, hail.